We've been studying the book of Revelation for a couple of weeks now. Uh, actually, this is the 104th week that we've been in this study, and we found our, our way into Revelation chapter 14. And uh, there's, you know, there's some titles that you get going uh, through life that you, you know, you kind of like. There's a title that I've gotten around here that I, that I do hate. It's that I'm the king of review. And, um, and I, I do understand that, that I do have a tendency to want to make sure we're all working off the same sheet of music, as it were. And, uh, and I appreciate that good hearty amen right there. But, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's so true. Every week we have people that are here for the very first time, and for us to just pick up where we were last time, they'll go through the whole service and not have a clue as to what we're talking about. And so, out of a courtesy to our guests, we do that. But, if you'll, if you'll let it, uh, the review, and I, and I just think about the word review, what you're really doing is you're going to look at something you've already seen again. You're going to review it, okay? But you know what? With the reviews that we have here, if you'll listen, what you'll find is that they're not just a review, but a lot of times what they'll do is give you a whole new view based off of what we've seen in the past. It serves as a review for our guests, but it can also be a great time of learning for you. So I, I go through all of that just so that you folks who are here every single week and that I appreciate so much that your faithfulness and your desire to learn the Word of God, just so you don't flake out during this, this period of time, but so you can maybe get a new view of some of the truths that the Lord's been teaching us. But the, the thing that we've been trying to learn now for... This is now, believe it or not, the 17th week that we've been just talking about one little phrase in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4, found in the middle of the verse. For those of you that are guests, you can look at it. The rest of the folks can quote it by now. It's not that long. It's that a group of people called the 144,000, one of the characteristics of that group of people that it's getting ready to come on this planet here in just a little while, is that they followed the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Just an incredible, incredible truth. And what we've been seeing is the people that that is going to be characteristic of, this 144,000, and they will be 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And what we've seen is that is the group of people that during the tribulation period are going to be the group of people that God is going to use to carry out his plan and carry it out they will. Unlike any other group of people that God's ever chosen to use, that's a group of people that's going to do it right. And that's why it's arrested our attention so much when we came to Revelation 14, because what God does is he just clears off a little area and says, now let me tell you about this group. This is an incredible group. Now, because God sets them up and he gives us those characteristics, recognizing where we are, and recognizing what God says is true of us. That's why we're looking at what God says is true of them, because, listen, what God says is true of us is not a pretty picture. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, our Lord writes seven letters to seven churches placed into the context of the book of Revelation. Those seven letters represent seven periods of church history. We are presently living in the seventh and the final period of church history, just before the rapture, 
which is that time when the Lord is going to appear in the clouds and he's going to remove off of the face of this planet every person who has entered into a relationship with him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And right, we're moving toward that event right now. We are in the seventh and final period that's outlined for us in the letter to the Laodiceans. That is the group of people that characterize us. And if you look through in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, at what God says is true of the believers in this period of church history, listen, the period of time in which you and I are presently living, what God says is you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. And he says... That's not real cool because it makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. And whereas you think that you got it all together spiritually and you think you're doing so good and you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, God says, you folks don't realize that to, quite to the contrary, you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And while we're so busy on the inside of the church right now in these last days, celebrating the presence of God, God says, the real cold hard facts is you guys have got me locked out on the outside and I'm out there knocking, just waiting for somebody to realize I'm not in the room and for somebody to realize that I'm stuck outside and would love the joy of being in the middle of everything that's supposedly going on in the name of Jesus but we're too caught up with our, what's the word, ourselves, to even notice that he ain't here. And what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, enlisting the 20 characteristics to identify the perilousness of the times that you and I are presently living in, God says the chief and foremost characteristic that is true in this period of time is that men are lovers of their own selves and not just are they lovers of their own selves but they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God now listen that is what is true of people in this period of time that claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior that claim to be the followers of Jesus Christ that's what is so alarming this isn't the world that Jesus is describing here it's us and it's all brought us back to in this whole thing of learning from this group of 144,000 and how they follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth it's bringing us back to something very very simple that Jesus said about how he wants, listen, all of us that are living right now in the Laodicean church period, this is how he wants us to be following him. What he says is that there's two prerequisites to following him. Two things that have got to be found in your life to genuinely be a follower of Jesus Christ. Number one is you must deny yourself. And you see, it goes, bam, right up against... What Jesus said is true of us, that we love ourselves. He, he says that if you're going to be a follower, not only must you deny yourself, but you must take up your cross. And for those of us that love pleasure more than loving God, you will not 
love pleasure more than love God and take a cross because there's pain involved in a cross there's suffering involved in a cross there's death involved in a cross and so we've been talking long about what it really means to take up your cross and be a follower of Jesus Christ and you can see on your study sheet that we we've talked thus far about the reconciliation of the cross and that how it was the cross that brought us to God and apart from the cross there is no coming to God Jesus Christ hung on that cross died on that cross to shed his blood because that's the only way whereby we must be saved it's through the cross we've gone into the explanation of the cross when you come to receive that cross that Jesus died on that cross becomes say it your cross and then we talked about the nullification of the cross how that in 1st Corinthians 1 17 and we are playing this out in Laodicea is we want to take the message of how a person comes to Christ and we want to make the cross of none effect because we're so anxious to get people over the goal, goal line spiritually that we don't want them to be faced with the cold simple hard fact is that you must come to the cross of Jesus Christ and that cross alone is the thing that will save you and then we talked about and have been talking about the crucifixion of the cross and what we've been talking about is really we looked at the importance of crucifixion and I'd like for you to turn back if you would to the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 as we're just allowing the Lord to give us a new view saying a review today you see just change the lingo Laodiceans like that we just change the lingo a little bit and we can get by with this thing Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 shows us the importance of crucifixion and if you look at verse 10 you can see very readily that we all want the first part of this verse right we, we all want to know Christ we all want to really know him in a deep meaningful intimate relationship all of us want that and what's more go on in the verse we all want to experience on a consistent daily basis the power of his resurrection in our lives the the problem is in Laodicea we just don't want the second half of the verse we don't want to have to experience the fellowship of his suffering and we don't want any part of this thing of being made conformable unto his death and, and what we've been trying to do is to, to let these lukewarm blinded Laodicean minds to see is that the, the reason that God now listen the reason that God was able to unleash and exercise the incredible mighty power of resurrection is the very simple fact that Jesus took up his cross and not only suffered on it but but died on it and without his dying there could be no power of the resurrection and what most of the time what Laodiceans fail to see is the very simple fact that in order for us to experience the power of the resurrection on our lives is we're gonna have to do the same thing that Jesus did we're gonna have to die and that's the importance of this thing of, of, of crucifixion the fact that there can be no exercise of God's power of resurrection until we have been crucified with Christ and not only suffer 
but die. And then so that we could see what the, the crucified life actually looked like, the, the death life, if you will. And, and that's the way we ought to probably start talking about this thing. The crucified life is it's, it's the death life. It, it, it goes, you know, you've got to think on that just a little bit. But so that we could actually see what was characteristic of that kind of life, so that we'd, we'd know what it is, so we'd know in our lives what, we're, what it is that we're actually looking for. So we'd actually know when we've actually gotten there and we have died with Christ, what we did is we, we skipped ahead to look at the result of crucifixion. And I want you to turn back just a couple of pages to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And what we found is historically when our Lord was crucified on the cross, what Mark 15, 27 lets us know is that his cross was in the middle. It was in the center, if you will. And there was crucified with him two, what? Two thieves, one on either side. One on his right hand, Mark 15, 27 says, and one on his left hand. And Paul lets us know here in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 that practically speaking, when the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ has got the place that it's supposed to have in our lives, when the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ takes center stage in our life and becomes what he calls here the glory of our life, what he begins to let us know is just like when our Lord was crucified, there is going to be with this placement of the cross, there's going to be two thieves that are going to be crucified as a result. And Paul even gives us in Galatians 6.14 their names. On one side, he says, is the world, and the other side... There is self. And listen, we refer to those two things as thieves because now listen, the two things that will rob you of the abundant life that Jesus died to give you, the two things that will rob you of intimately knowing Christ and experiencing the power of his resurrection are those very two things that he lists in, their ver in this verse. They are thieves. They'll rob you. Now, you see, in our Laodicean minds, we don't think so. And so we never allow the cross to take that place. We, we're fighting tenaciously to hold on to our life, and the more we hold on to it, the less of his life we experience. But Paul says, listen, when the cross has its rightful place, the world is crucified unto you, and I, all of us, are crucified to the world. And Paul says here, in verse 14, when the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ became my cross, and when that cross took its rightful place at the very center of my life, and it alone became the absolute glory of my life, the first thing that happened is I looked over on my right hand, and the world was crucified unto me. And do you remember what the world is? What we did is we took the time and we began to go through the Word of God, tracing God's explanation in the New Testament of what the world is and what we found out is in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, and you probably ought to just jot down these references and you can look at these later. But what we found in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 is that the world is that system of evil that's operative in the world right now that is against God. We saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it's that system of evil over which Satan is the head. 
We saw in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, it's that system that Satan very strategically and deliberately established and designed as a course to bring every single one of us through to appeal as 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 says, to appeal to the lust of our flesh and to the lust of our eyes and to the pride of life. And Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 tells us why he was using that system, why he was bringing that, us through that course, why he was appealing to these, the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes and the pride of life. What it says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 is he was wanting to conform us to the thinking and to the system of the world. He wanted worldliness to be in us. He wanted worldliness to be on us. He wanted the worldliness to be ingrained in our thinking. He wanted it to be the natural flow of our lifestyle. He wanted the world system to absolutely engulf us. And that's why 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 says that that system, the world system, was a snare. It was a trap for us that Satan used, listen, to hold us captive at his will. And the reason that it was such a, a trap, the reason it was such a snare, is it was that system. Before we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, it was that system where we all found our identity. It was that system where we all found our esteem. And finding advancement and approval and acceptance in that system is what drove us, man. That's where we derived our motivation. And so 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 says that what we did as a result of that is we sought the things in that system. We, we, we wanted all the things that were a part of that system because it was just ingrained in us. We were held captive by it. And the bottom line is, folks, it was that system that Satan used to blind every single one of us to God and almost sent every one of us to hell. That's the world that Paul's talking about. And the truth is, even though God saved us, the truth is, even though God translated us, as it says in the book of Colossians chapter 1, or transferred us out of that evil system of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his dear son, the, the sad fact is, folks, that even though we've been translated out of that thing spiritually, most Christians never tap into the abundant life that Jesus provided through his death, burial, and resurrection in delivering us out of that world system. And the fact is, most Christians, and I say that unreservedly, most Christians still allow that system to appeal to them. That system still pulls on us. That system still looks inviting to us. And listen, as long as it does, it is a thief that steals the power of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. It, it robs us of the abundant life that Jesus died to give us. And I just, I, I, I can't get over verse 14. Paul says, When I took up the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it became my glory, and it took the central place in my life, he says, that world system, that thing that we just took five minutes to describe, he says, that world system was crucified unto me. He says, it became nothing 
but a despised, bloody, lifeless, cursed, stinking corpse to me. It held no more appeal to me whatsoever. And, and, and listen now, if you want to know whether or not you've taken up your cross and, and placed it where it needs to be placed in your life, like Paul's talking about here in verse 14, all you got to do, it's real simple, all you got to do is just look to see what kind of pull and appeal and enticement the world has on you right now. And if you still feel it's pull, if you still feel the enticement, if you still think it's pretty cool, and what is, what is true is the cross. No matter what we sing, no matter what we pray, no matter what we say, as long as that's pulling, the cross is, doesn't have its rightful place. We've not taken up our cross. We've not been crucified with Christ. And what is just so absolutely horrendous about us Laodiceans is that we want the same world that used its hand to beat and to whip and to nail the Lord Jesus Christ here we are in 1999 and we want the world to use its hands to applaud us and to approve us and to extend to us the right hand of fellowship the right hand of acceptance we want the same world that used its mouth to curse the Lord Jesus Christ and to spit in his face we want the world to use its mouth to kiss us we want the world to use its mouth to bless us. We want the world to use its mouth to sing our praises. Listen, young people, some of you guys, you're in school, and you want the same world that hated the Lord Jesus Christ, hated Him so much, that it butchered him, literally butchered him on the cross and lifted him up naked, despised and cursed and rejected and dying. And we want that same world to love us. We want that same world to lift us up to a place of prominence, to a place of preeminence, to a place of coolness. It's, it's wild. We, we want the same world that viewed our Lord as the off-scouring of itself. That viewed our Lord as its filth that's left behind once it relieves itself. And we want that system to notice us. Is it true? We still want it to know we're still here. And that even though we've accepted Jesus, we still got a whole lot going on for ourselves. Excuse me for just a second, but but ladies, isn't that why some of you still dress for it? I mean, c come on. 
You know, you, you were in the world system, and you knew how to walk, and you knew how to talk, and you knew how to, to dress, to be appealing to the world. What's mind-boggling is people come out of that kingdom, and according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, we become espoused to one, talk to me, one husband, one husband. We're espoused to him. And you know what the whole, you know what, you ladies ought to get ingrained into your thinking that now, okay, my husband is the Lord Jesus Christ, and now I'm going to dress for him. Okay, and what that means practically, ladies, is if the Lord Jesus Christ, as your espoused husband, was going to escort you every single place that you are going to go for the rest of your life, whether it be summer, fall, winter, or anything in between, how would you dress if you were with your espoused husband? Let, let me guarantee you something, ladies. If you were walking arm in arm with your husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, you would not expose cleavage or anything close. Hello? I think he used the C word. You, you know, it's, it's real trendy right now to show midriff, you know, if, if, unless you got a lot of it. <laughs> and, and it's amazing to me how, how layout of seeing women, once they get on a diet, the less flesh they have, the more of it they want to expose. I, you know what? If you're walking arm in arm with the Lord Jesus Christ, I just guarantee to you, you ain't going to be exposing midriff. You ain't going to be exposing thigh. It, it's not going to be so tight that it leaves nothing to the world's imagination. And, and listen, I, I, I know this is sounding just a little bit legalistic and like we're drawing a, a box for folks, but I would like for some woman to just explain to me how I'm wrong in concluding that for you to dress like that means you're still wanting somebody other than your husband to notice you. And I'm not talking about the husband whose ring you're wearing. I'm talking about your husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, ladies, your espoused husband is getting ready to pick you up. Do you understand that? How do you want to be dressed when he comes for you? And maybe the little rule of thumb that you ladies ought to use, and forget, listen, forget me, forget, you know, ooh, I don't know if Pastor Mark would like that. Forget me, okay? Really, that's, that's legalism. Forget me. I'm telling you, I'm not the standard of anything. But you, all I'm saying is maybe the little rule of thumb you ought to use is, Okay, if I'm going to be wearing this when the Lord comes for me and for the first time I'm going to see him face to face and stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, am I going to be comfortable wearing this? Hello? And maybe that ought to be the, be the standard that, that we, we begin to use. And listen, ladies, please, under, I'm not talking about, you know, we need to start dressing like we're Amish or Mennonite, or, you know, anything just this side of it. Hey, listen, I'm not talking about doing anything weird. I'm not talking about, okay, let's all get as out of date as we can possibly look so that we can all look to the world like we're a bunch of idiots. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm just talking about dressing for your true husband. Well, that sounds legalistic to me. I... You know what? There, I'm not. I'm not. Listen. I'm not trying to tell you how to dress. 
I'm really not. I'm just saying, we've all got to start getting in our thinking. Now that we've been espoused to him, we've got to get into our thinking, who am I dressing for? Am I dressing for the world? Do I still need their, their eyes all over me? Or am I dressing for my husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, who bought this body with his own precious blood so that this body can house not just the Spirit of God, but the, what's the word? Holy Spirit of God. And that he purchased so that we could glorify him in this body. Y'all getting worried about me? Man, I've never, you know, I thought we got away from that legalism thing years ago. Listen, it has nothing whatsoever to do with legalism. It, it, it really doesn't. What we're talking about here is a matter of holiness. And, and, and you know what? I, I hear this every time the subject comes up about women's dress. Ladies think, well, I'll just tell you, I think men are sick. I think they've got a problem. And you know what? I don't think that there's a man in this room that would not wholeheartedly agree with you about that. <laughs> we are sick. And we've got a major problem. Okay? But we're not the issue! <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ is your husband! And, and, and men, see now you ladies thought, boy, he's coming out both barrels on, on the, the, the women. Listen, men, when we have allowed the cross to have its rightful place in our lives, the, the truth is, when we look at a woman, we'll look and see the destiny of her soul rather than delight in her body. Boy, I'll tell you, I think we're a long way from this. You know, that's the whole truth right there. Laodiceans, we're a long way from Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. Paul says, listen, the whole dirty, stinking, rotten system was crucified. It became just a worthless, lifeless, bloody, cursed corpse to me when the cross took the central place in my life. And not only that, look at the rest of verse 14. He says, and I was crucified unto the world. Whereas at one time, the world considered me its friend. Now, James 4, 4 says, it considers me its enemy. Whereas one time the world loved me. Now John 15, 19 says that it not only doesn't like me, it hates me. Whereas at one time I was a part of its system. Now John 17, 14 says now I'm no longer of it. And 1 Corinthians 4, 9 says now that the world sees me as a spectacle. You know what that means? Now the world uses me as something to make sport of. Now the world uses me as something to laugh about. And that's the good news, because whereas at one time I was something important to it, now 1 Corinthians 4.13 says, I'm the off-scouring of it. And as we talked about just a minute ago, now we are the filth 
of the world, the filth of the world system. Whereas at one time, what First John chapter 4 and verse 5 says, whereas at one time we used to talk about the world, and when we would talk, the world liked to listen to us. We had some kind of influence in the world. What First John chapter 4 and verse 5 says, when the cross takes its rightful place, all of a sudden you stop talking about the world, and you no longer have the influence in the world that you used to have. And you see, that's the result of crucifixion. The world, that whole system that we talked about, it's a dead issue. It's crucified to me. And I, to the world, it goes both ways. I don't like it, I hate it, and it hates me. And that leads us to really the, the biggest question of all. And it's led us to this. See, this is just the new view. It's led us to the biggest question of all, and that is how. How do you actually take up your cross? How do you actually experience crucifixion with Christ? And, and what we really started talking about last week is the path to crucif crucifixion. And, and now listen, what, what we're about to talk about this morning is so, so important. It is, it is so key in the, this, this whole discussion of, of, of being crucified with Christ that it, it, we're going to take the rest of the time just to talk about this, this one thing. Because here's what happens. There are very few people who ever come to the place to where they desire what we've been talking about for the last 17 weeks. Really. There are very few people that ever come to desire it. And, and you know what? The, the thing that drives me crazy about approaching Sunday mornings right now is I don't know how many of you are actually desiring what we're talking about. And I don't know how many of you are just waiting for us to get on to something that might have a little relevance to your life. You know what I'm saying? Very few ever get to the place to where they, they really desire to experience the crucifixion of Christ. But for those who do, there is a, there is a major, major temptation. And the devil likes to come in to those that, that begin to have that desire and he begins to want to move you into an arena to make sure that you never really experience the reality of what we've been talking about. See, what starts happening is people who desire to understand and experience the crucifixion of Christ, so many times what happens is people begin to, to work and labor and wrestle, trying and trying, putting forth all kinds of effort to bring it to pass. And you know what? That sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? But the fact is, and here it is on your study sheet, listen, as long as we put forth the effort to be crucified, the more certain it is that we'll never genuinely experience it. Now, I need to say that to you again because I know that's, that sounds so weird. As long as we put forth the effort to be crucified, the more certain it is that we'll never genuinely experience it. You know why? Because flesh cannot 
crucify flesh. Self can't overcome self, not even with the help of grace, not even in those of us who are saved. You, you can't crucify yourself, as one writer said, because you can never completely finish the job because in order to crucify yourself, you've always got to have at least one hand free to do the hammering. And you're left with the inability to complete the job. Self cannot do the job. It's not a human work. It's a divine work. Listen, what we've been talking about all of these weeks, guys, is God's job. You say, okay, well, great. What do I got to do to get job to do, God to do His job then? And here's the, here's the key. He already did. He already did His job. And see, that's, that's the thing that most people miss in this whole thing. That's the thing that's so hard for us to get into our minds. But the fact is, all of us who have genuinely been born again, now, now don't miss this as you're turning your sheet, but listen, the reality is all of us who have genuinely been born again have already experienced crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Do you understand that? The thing that caused us to be saved was the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And what is the gospel, y'all? According to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, it was the fact that Christ, first of all, did what? He died. And secondly, that he was buried. And thirdly, the fact that he rose again, rose from the dead. But Colossians chapter 2 lets us know something very interesting that was taking place in us spiritually the moment we were being saved. And I want you to turn back there or over there, if you will. You're probably still in Galatians. Just go to your right just a little bit. Colossians chapter 2. Okay, now, now remember, remember what the gospel is, okay? It's, it's Christ's death, it's Christ's burial, and Christ's resurrection. And now listen very carefully to this, how Colossians 2 and verse 12 describes our salvation is this, the fact that we were buried with Him in baptism. And now listen, now this isn't water baptism. This isn't water baptism that he's talking about here in Colossians 2.12. It's the baptism of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. It is a spiritual baptism. A, a baptism that is performed by the Spirit of God Himself as He took us, now listen, and baptized us into Christ. Or He took us and He spiritually placed us into Christ. We're, we're in the book of Ephesians on Sunday night and we've been learning that what our salvation did is it placed us in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is explaining how you got there spiritually. The Spirit of God took you and baptized you or placed you into or immersed you, if you will, into Christ. And what Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12 is letting us know here is that the moment that we called upon the name of the Lord, we were placed into Christ. And the spiritual reality was is that the Spirit of God took us back spiritually, if you will, 1900 and something years ago, or, or it took us 1900 years back into the past, 
And we were at that moment, the moment we were being saved, he took us back and we were placed into Christ's death. And we died with him. And the Spirit of God took us and placed us into Christ's burial. And we were buried with him. And go on in verse 12. Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him, that is Christ, from the dead. And you know what that means? Now listen. What it means is that just as the Spirit of God baptized you into Christ's death and you died with him, and just as the Spirit of God baptized you into Christ's burial and you were buried with him, you were also baptized into Christ's resurrection. You were placed into that. And Paul says here that the power that God put into operation to raise Christ from the dead is the same power he put into operation to raise us to new life in Christ. That's what our salvation was, folks. It wasn't just the gospel that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. It was our death and our burial and our resurrection. Do you understand that? If you are in Christ this morning, that means if you've ever come to a place where you called upon the name of the Lord to save you, if you've ever come to the place where you have been born again, that's what it is to be in Christ. And if you are in Christ this morning, the life in you has already gone through the process of death, burial, and resurrection. It already happened. Now, turn back to Romans chapter 6 for a minute. Let me show it to you over here. Romans chapter 6. If this is true, then it's going to say it everywhere else in the New Testament that talks about this. Romans chapter 6. And look with me at verse 3. Paul says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, and there it is again, what kind of baptism is he talking about here, y'all? Spirit baptism, because again, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that the Spirit of God baptized us into Christ. Water baptism, listen, water baptism cannot place you in Christ it can place you in a pool of water, but that's all it can do is get you wet. The Spirit of God takes you and places you in Christ. Water baptism is just the physical, outward picture of the spiritual, inward reality of what has already taken place when the Spirit of God placed us into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Did you get that? Water baptism is the physical, outward picture of the spiritual, inward reality of what took place when the Spirit of God saved us by placing us into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul says here in verse 3, he says, listen, don't you know? I mean, don't you get this? Don't you understand this? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And listen, it's the same point. Listen, the moment we were placed into Christ and Christ was placed into us, the life he placed into us has already gone through the process of death, burial, and resurrection. And the spiritual reality is I am right now, present tense, 
I am dead to sin. Do you see that in verse 2? Now, let me ask you, do you believe that? Is that what it says? I'm dead to sin. And drop down to verse 6. He says, knowing this, that our old man, and he's not talking about your daddy there, he's talking about the old you, the you before the Spirit baptized you into Christ. And he says, knowing this, that our old man reads self, What's the next word? Is, is what? Is crucified with him. Do you see that? We're already crucified with him. And verse 7. We've already been freed from sin. Present tense. It's a reality right now. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I, what, am crucified with Christ. He told us in Colossians 3 and verse 3, For ye are dead. Right now, we're dead. And he says, your life is hid with Christ in God. This isn't something we're hoping is going to happen. It's happened. Self has already been crucified and is crucified and is already dead and buried. And the fact is, I've already experienced the power of his resurrection. Three and verse one says, I'm risen with Christ. And that's because as we saw in Colossians chapter two and verse twelve, he raised us in the power of his resurrection, using the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And now I am risen with Christ. And the reality is, folks, I'm not just going to heaven one of these days. According to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, I'm already there. Spiritually this morning, I'm already sitting in heaven. Physically, I'm standing in First Baptist Church at 878 Commercial Avenue Southwest in New Philadelphia, Ohio. I understand that physically. What I don't understand is that spiritually this morning, I'm already seated there. I'm already in heaven with all the rest of y'all that have been placed in Christ. We're all already there. You know, what would be interesting is to know how many of us that are sitting here this morning are really sitting there right now because unless you're sitting there right now you ain't saved when you get saved spiritually you're as good as there it's a done deal it's a settled fact you're, you're there you're, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places and, and listen this morning if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior listen we want to urge you to take your seat in heaven. The place has been reserved for you. And you're welcome to it. And you get there by simply calling upon the name of the Lord down here. And when you do that, bam! He places you into Christ's death and into Christ's burial and into Christ's resurrection. And you take your place spiritually with Christ in the heavenlies. But what I'm trying to get you to see here is that for weeks and weeks now, we've been talking about what it means to to take up your cross and to, to know the crucifixion of the cross. And the question that every single one of us have had is, 
how? How do I do this? When the fact is, it's already a done deal. Self is on your sheet. Self has already been crucified in Christ's death. Self has already been buried in Christ's burial. And self has already been raised in Christ's resurrection. Listen, everything that we've been talking about all these many weeks is already a reality that's sitting down inside of our souls and spirits this morning. You say, oh my goodness, man. Um, I've got to be freaking out because if that's true, why do I keep sinning? You're saying I'm dead to Christ and I'm free. Why do I keep sinning? And more than that, why am I still wanting to? And why does the world and the things in the world and things of the world... If all this is true, why does the world still have that pull on me? Why do I feel so powerless? Why am I still not experiencing abundant life? Right? And the fact is, though all of the things that we've been talking about are already a reality deep down in our souls and spirits, what most of us haven't experienced is the release of the power of those realities into our daily lives, all we're lacking, folks, is the release of the power. But it's already there. And if you will, let me illustrate this for you with one of my favorite things to illustrate with that you've grown to hate, the Wizard of Oz, okay? <laughs> And you, you know the story, you know, uh, here is Dorothy, and, and she's a little bummed about her situation in life, and so she's looking for this, this place somewhere over the rainbow, you know, and she's singing about it, and she's dreaming about it, and whoo, here comes a twister, you know, and so the twister comes, and bam, she gets her head hit, and, and she goes into la-la land, and she starts dreaming, Okay, and you don't really know this. You think she's actually gotten to this place, but this, she's on this journey, and once she gets there, she, she finds out, you know what, I'd really like to be home because this doesn't look like Kansas anymore, you know. And so she begins this journey, and, you know, the, the good witch, you know, from wherever comes and, and tells her, you know, that she, what she needs to do is she needs to go see the Wizard of Oz if she wants to do this thing. And so she... You know, how do I get there? Well, follow the yellow brick you know, all this deal, you know. So, so, you know, she gets on this little journey to follow the yellow brick road uh, to this place that is called Oz, where there is this one that it can do this, this thing to catapult her back into Kansas. And so she, as she makes her way, she comes upon the scarecrow, and he's just, you know, hanging up there and starts having this conversation with her. And, and she, you know, she tells him her plight, and, you know, and he's like, oh, that's a bummer, man, but, but you know what? My, my plight in life is I don't have a brain. Man, I'd really like to have a brain. And she says, well, you know what? I bet you if he could get me home, he could probably give you a brain and all this kind of stuff. And he, he's stuck up there. And since she doesn't have any brains and all that, here's Dorothy trying to figure out how to get him down. And she says, well, I'm not very smart, but I think if you just turn that nail the, the other way, I think I'll drop off of this thing. So, you know, he drops off and he goes down the, looking for Oz. And so as they're on their way, they come to the Tin Man. And the Tin Man, he needs a heart, you know. And so, do 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 you know, all that thing's going on. 
He wants a hog. And all the way, you know, all the way through this whole deal, as they're making their way, as they get the oil can out and get him lubricated once again, all the way through this whole movie, as everything that happens to Dorothy, <laughs> he starts crying. <laughs> the guy that's got no hog. And he got to keep using the oil can to, to do this thing. And the whole brains of the operation is the guy that's got no brains, okay? So they go on their way, and then they come to the line, and he needs, not courage, courage, right? <laughs> and so, you know, he, he's, he's talking to him about the fact that he's got no courage. And so they're, they're doing all their little thing. They're trying to get to where they're going and all this stuff. And, and he, he looks like he's the wimp, but when Dorothy's caught in the witch's castle, guess who it is that's going to go in and rescue her? It's a guy that's got no courage. And so they finally get to Oz, and they finally get to the wizard, and they find out the dude ain't got Jack. He doesn't have anything to offer him. But what he does is he gives the stupid scarecrow a piece of paper that says he's smart, and the square root of an orthostatic, you know, he goes off into this, you know, little, little deal. And all of a sudden, because he's got this little paper, bam, he's got a brain. And he, he gives the tin man this stupid little plastic heart and pins it on him and he's, <laughs> and now he's got his heart, you know. And then, you know, he, he gives the, this badge of, of valor, you know, to the, uh, the lion and he's, you know, doing the Batman thing, you know, and he's got that look going on and, and then Dorothy comes to a place to where she realizes that home is where everything's always been and she's always had the ability to go back there and to get that thing. And what you begin to find out about this movie, what they're trying to tell you is that we spend our life trying to get something that we already got. And you know what? There's really a great spiritual truth because most Christians are spending their time seeking for something they've already been given. And now, now listen, the devil doesn't like it one bit that there's a group of people that are sitting in New Philadelphia, Ohio this morning that actually have a desire in their heart to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, even though they understand that it's going to mean suffering, and even though they, they mean it's going to mean taking up their cross, and even though they understand that it's going to mean dying. And so please, please, please listen. He doesn't like that. And so what he'd absolutely love to do is he'd love to take your desire to die to self, and he'd love to take that desire and get you on some wild goose chase Searching and searching and searching for some deep, dark, spiritual secret out there or some mystical and magical hidden spiritual truth or some spiritual zap to be found somewhere out there in spiritual la-la land, spiritual Oz, as it were. Because, listen, he'd love to get us on there because he knows it ain't out there. He knows where it is. Where is it, y'all? It's in here. It's already a spiritual reality inside of you if you've truly been born again. But if he, can just, if he can just keep us blinded to that fact 
and take our desire to die to self and keep our flesh looking and working and hammering and trying. You know what? He knows good and well. We'll never really experience the reality that's already sitting down inside of us. So now listen, understand. When we're explaining how we actually experience the crucifixion of the cross, the how that we're actually explaining is how we experience practically the fullness of what is already ours. You understand that? Hello? Are you writing or what? Okay. The how that we're actually explaining is how we experience practically the fullness of what is already ours. And listen, I know that you've heard, I know you've heard this over and over and over. We've just never really believed it. But now listen, when you got saved, at that moment, you got everything there was to get. God didn't hold anything back. I, I love the way Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10 says it. And ye are, what's the next word? Complete in Him. We got everything there was to get. Now it's just a matter of letting everything we got get everything that's in us. That's the whole essence of the Christian life. Letting the fullness of the power of His death, burial, and resurrection be realized in every aspect of our lives. You see, that's why Romans chapter 6... Where are you guys right now? Are you there? Okay, Romans chapter 6, look at it. That's why, after being so dogmatic about the fact in verse 2 that we are dead to sin, and so dogmatic, look in verses 3 and 4, that we've already died and been buried and resurrected, and so dogmatic in verse 7 that we've been freed from sin, he comes down to verse 11 and he says, okay, now that you know that all of that is already a settled fact, he says, reckon it to be so. Look at verse 11. He says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, it's already a done deal. It's already a settled fact. You're already dead to sin. You're already freed to sin through Christ's death, burial, and you're already alive unto God through Christ's resurrection. But now, he, he says, allow the full ramification of those realities to be reckoned or accounted into the actual living of your life. It, it, it's like this. The, the day that you got saved, God took and put the limitless power of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection into our spiritual bank account. And it's all there. Every bit of it. All that there is. All the, it's all there. And what he's telling us to do in verse 11 is now that it's already in our account, record it in your checkbook register and write, start writing checks on the account. It's a, it's a reality. Now start using the reality that's there. In other words, this is true. Now live like it. And turn back to, or over to Colossians chapter 3 for a second. And we saw just a minute ago, Paul is, is so dogmatic in, in verse 1 that we've been risen with Christ because we died and we're buried with Him. We saw that back in chapter 2 and verse 12. That old self died and was, was buried and something completely new came up out of the grave. And again, he's so dogmatic 
in verse 3 that we're already dead. That, that old self died. And our life, he says, is now hid with Christ in God. But then he comes down to verse 5 and he says, Mortify, or put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. I thought I was already dead back in verse 3. You are. Now get it into the reality of your life. Put it to death. And he goes into the list of all the, the fleshly desires that self used to have before it died. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which he says is idolatry. And again, you know what he's saying? He's saying, yeah. Self, that, that old you died. Now, allow the reality of that death to be realized in your body and all the desires that your body has. In, in other words, live out the reality of Christ's death in you. Now, let me just ask you. You guys understand what we're talking about right here? Do you understand how all of this applies to everything that we've been talking about, about being crucified with Christ? What it means is this. Don't make it hard. Don't make it hard. Don't make it something mystical. Don't make it something unattainable. Don't be looking and looking for some new spiritual truth to, to move into you and, and to move you into some new spiritual dimension. Don't be looking for some new move of the, of the Spirit to, to zap you. The reality is this, y'all. All the work has already been accomplished. It was accomplished when you were placed into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And you've already got inside of you right now everything you need to live a life that is dead to self and to live a life that it experiences on a daily basis the power of Christ's resurrection upon it and through it. You've already got it, man. It's already a reality. And again, when we're talking about how that actually happens, how we actually take up our cross, and how we're actually crucified with, with Christ. What we're talking about is how we experience practically the release of the power of His death, burial, and resurrection that we've already experienced the re release of in our lives spiritually the moment that we were placed in Christ. We experienced it then. Now, let it come out practically in your life. What we're talking about is... How do we actually write checks on the riches of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that He's placed into our bank account the moment we were saved? What He's talking about here is how we allow the full ramification, the full realization and, and ramifications of what took place in us when we were placed into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection to settle down into the very depths of our souls and spirits until it's being lived out through our bodies. That's, that's what we're talking about. And you see, this is what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 when He said, take up your cross daily. Get this reality into your daily life. It's already true if you come to the cross of Jesus Christ and been saved because you were placed into His death, burial, and resurrection. Now, take up your cross practically on a daily basis and let those realities live in you. This is what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 31 when he said, I die daily. Listen, all the power 
is already there. All the, you're, you're, uh, all the work has already been accomplished. That's the, the top one. All the power is already there. All that's needed is the daily reckoning of those truths so that they're made operative in our lives. Now, now don't, don't pack up. Just, just finish out your blank and just, just hold it there for just a second. <clears throat> I, I went through all of that this morning because somewhere we had to cover that territory before this group of people right here gets spinning out in some direction of life looking for something getting frustrated because they can't find that that hidden thing out there it was hid with Christ in God when he saved you and it's sitting down inside of you And, and I know I know what you're saying is okay how how do I let this power get unleashed? How does that happen? That's what we're going to continue talking about. We saw the first thing last week. It was get honest with God, right? And we've got to get to the place of honesty and recognizing that this truth is not a reality in our life. And we come and we present to the Lord as we saw in, in the book of Isaiah. We present dry ground and we begin to get thirsty for Him to allow the power of what is true in us to be released. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna continue on with that, but I want to just make sure that you understand what we're talking about. Because I'm telling you, few there be that ever come to the place to where they, die, where they desire to be crucified with Christ. But of those who do desire it, the devil trips them up in this ethereal, mystical life out there and people get frustrated and burn out because they don't realize just like Dorothy you got it sitting inside of you and now it's just a matter of letting what's inside of you get lived out here and what is so cool about it is Jesus has already walked the path for us he's already shown us the way all we've got to do is follow and we're going to see practically again next week what that really means about how we let this release come out but as you go this week and as you talk to God don't let the devil get you on some wild goose chase out there you start thanking God already for the power that's in you, that the power of the resurrected life of Christ is already there. And just begin to pray. Hunger. Just begin to pray that He'll allow that to be released in your life. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never come to Jesus Christ to receive Him as your personal Savior, don't pack up, y'all. Because You know what? Let me just talk to our folks just a second. What you just told everybody in the room is, okay, the rest of this ain't really important. When Listen. The preaching of the Word of God has taken forth, gone forth here for a long time. 
and it's through the foolishness of preaching that people are going to get saved. Please don't ever get to the place to where we send a signal, this is not important now. The souls of people are in the balances right now, y'all. And if you don't need to listen to this, pray for their souls, would you? Some of you are here this morning, and you didn't realize it when you came in, but your soul is in the balance. And the reality is, God loves you, but you're separated from Him because of your sin. And there's nothing that you can do that can bring you back to God. That's what we were talking about before, the reconciliation of the cross. God came to this planet and paid for your sins on the cross so that you didn't have to spend eternity in hell paying for your sin. He took your death. He died your death. He paid your penalty. And now if you'll come to Him, that cross will reconcile you to God. You can have a relationship with God and you can spend eternity with Him. And that's the real message of everything that we're talking about of how it applies to you. You come to that cross and the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross cleanses us, the Bible says, of all sin. And that can happen for you today. You can have your sin removed if you'll come to the Christ of the Bible and come to the cross of the Christ of the Bible. Our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of this room as we're dismissed here in just a second. And we invite you to come today to find the forgiveness of sin, to find the joy of fellowship with the God of the universe. And if God's working in your life right now, before you walk out the doors and just get right back into the flow of life, why don't you let the God of the universe invade your life and allow you to have that relationship with Him that you were created to have in the first place? Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Now, Lord, I, I realize this morning that the truths that we're, we're talking about, that we've already experienced, that it's just so hard for our, our finite, human, Laodicean minds to comprehend. But Lord, I, I, I recognize that if we're ever going to really experience what we've been talking about all of these weeks, it's not going to be because we find something new, some new truth, some new experience. We realize that we are complete in you and that this release is, is just simply something that we need to submit ourselves to and allow the full ramifications to be realized in our lives. And, and I pray that as we leave this week, that though we may not fully understand exactly how this power is released, I pray that there would be in each one of us a, a desire, a, a longing, a hunger, and a thirst to experience everything that our salvation was intended to be. Oh Lord, help us not to be short-sighted. Help us not to continue in our blindness as Laodiceans. And oh God, would you please 
save folks that are in this, this room this morning that have never come to Christ. Pray that even now, through the foolishness of preaching, that the Spirit of God would convict of sin and of righteousness and judgment in the lives of people that have never come to Christ and His cross. And I pray that this would be the day when their eyes open to the reality of who you are and the reality of who they are without a Savior. I pray they'd humble themselves today to come to the cross and find life and forgiveness in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.